So we're finishing up our month of October, going through the, the solas, the onlys of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, our, our um, Protestant church fathers who brought about Reformation out of the church. And I just want to remind us, as we hear the word Reformation, that Reformation is not revolution. Okay, Revolution even is, is, is typically has bad connotations to it. Reformation is just a reforming to what something once was, right? And so the Protestant Reformation was not a new idea, but it was a reforming back to a biblical understanding of, of the gospel, of the word of God, and of salvation in Christ Jesus. And so we've got, uh, we've gone through faith alone, um, Christ alone, Scripture alone, and tonight we're going to finish with probably the two uh, hardest to really embrace because um, when we look at salvation being of grace alone to the glory of God alone, we're saying... It's all you, God. And we as sinful, fallen people, we don't like to let go of things. We like to, we like to have control. We like to receive glory. Um, so these two are really, they, they really, they can um, rub, rub you wrong a little bit as it presses up against your flesh. But I'll be honest, these two, and these two, once you really see them in Scripture, these two create a awe, a, a humility for what God, for who God truly is and for what God has truly done. Um, so let's let's begin. Let me I got I got three questions. Why does the sun rise and set every day? Okay. Yeah. Cause Evie said, because God made it like that. And she's, she's getting ahead of me here. Uh, but that's correct. Right. And the, the, the scientific answer is if the sun doesn't rise in the mornings, we don't have sun... Our trees don't grow. Our, we lose our oxygen. We can't breathe. You know, there is definitely scientific reasons why we need the sun to rise, and there's even reasons why we need the sun to go down and the moon to come up. Right? We need the gravity of the moon. We we need all these things to take place in order to live. Why does it rain? Well, for the same reasons. We don't. Without rain, our water systems would run dry. We would go thirsty, our trees would die, we'd lose all of our oxygen. Here's a fun one. Why do we have eyelids? Because so we can see. So we can Well, if you didn't have eyelids, there'd be stuff getting in your eyes all the time. And you couldn't see. And when you did get something in your eye, your eyelids helped get the stuff out of your eye. Right? And that helps us function and live. All these things have a function in the world, and it's because 
as Evie said, God made them to function a certain way in the world. And we always think here's where we have to here's where we have to start thinking differently. And I'm not saying that we as the the ones that are here think don't think this way. We don't need to think about the the function and the benefit towards us. We must always first see that in their functions of all creation, they are ultimately designed to give glory to God. In all things. Um, Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens, and I'll just read this one. The heavens declare the what? The glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Turn to Isaiah 60, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. So we have to keep in, what I want us to keep in mind in the beginning is that we think about creation not in its functionality and its benefit towards us, but in the fact that God, in creating its functionality for the good of us, it ultimately gives him glory. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. And we talked a lot about this in our family series and understanding the, the biblical purpose of family is to bring glory to God because the ultimate purpose of the individual is to bring glory to God. I said Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. I will say to the north, so here's, here's the Lord speaking. I will say to the north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Okay, now, Romans 23. Romans 8. I'm, uh, Romans 3, 23. Romans 3, 23. So, if we wanted to do an in-depth look at Scripture, and we did this a little bit more... Uh, in September when we were looking at the purpose of the family, we can come to the ultimate conclusion that people are made for the glory of God. You remember I, I've quoted to us before, what is, what, is our, what is our purpose? What is our chief end? Well, it's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We're here for His glory. We're here so that uh, He can be magnified. Now, when we get to Romans 3.23, we see a problem, and we all know the verse very well, but, when, but we have to think about it in the sense of we are made for the glory of God. We are made to reflect the glory of God. But verse 23 in Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's a very helpful, under, that's a very helpful verse in understanding exactly what sin is and what it does. We just think of it as being disobedience or not doing what we're supposed to do. Well, it's literally not doing what we're made to do. And that's to reflect the glory of God, to give him the glory in his creation. That would be like this. That would be like this. Imagine if all the birds of creation got together and decided that they were just going to start walking from place to place. They would be in rebellion to their created purpose to glorify God. If they just was like, we're gonna no more, our wings are tired, so we're gonna walk. 
that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So man has done that. That's what we have done. We have decided that we have a different purpose. And it started in the garden when, when, uh, when Eve was deceived and Adam failed as uh, her head to protect her. And they, uh, were, they sinned against God. They had fallen short of the glory of God. And that is where we all are today in our humanness, in our nature. Now look at Romans 1. It kind of helps us understand this a little bit more. This falling short of his glory kind of gives a little bit more detail. Romans 1, 18 through 25. And we're all familiar with this passage real well. But it's helpful when you pair it with, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, you're going to see where that glory has gone when we read this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So here's the ungodly, unrighteous men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because the heavens declare the glory of God, right? For uh, Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that has been made, the heavens declare the glory of God the skies above proclaim his handiwork, Psalm 19, 1. Uh, verse 7, or verse 8. So they are without excuse. It's verse 21. I'm sorry, 21. Yep, sorry. That was my cross-reference number 7. 27, 21. For, all they, they, for although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So now we're starting to see where this glory is, is going. So, so notice back again, we'll read that again, 21. For although they knew God, because why? They had, they had perceived by, by creation. Well, we won't go there. Um, so they perceived by creation, they could tell that there was a divine creator. They knew that, and we also know that the um, the eternality of man is within us, and we know that there is no end to our souls. Um, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their f- foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and here it is, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. All right, a little rabbit trail. If we are created in the image of God, the world cannot, they cannot... Um, they cannot kill God. The world, unbelievers, they cannot kill God. They cannot harm Him. They cannot hurt Him. But you know what they can do? They can destroy His image. And we think about abortion, or we even think about um, transgenderism. And what are they... They're trying to either destroy 
the image of the image bearer of God, or they're trying to mar or and change how the bearers of God's image are created. So you gotta think about that as far as all people having dignity and value being made in the image of God, and if they can't get to God, then they're just gonna go after his image bearers. Okay, that, that just kind of came to me as I was reading that. So let's go to 24. Oh, I'm sorry. They exchanged the glory of immortal God for image, images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So you exchange, you, you, you don't care about the glory of God, then therefore you're not going to worship the glory of God. You start giving glory to the creatures, you're going to worship the creatures. And therefore, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, you have to understand that this is all people. This is what we were before Christ. This isn't, we can't just point at the fallenness of the world and say, this is who you are. We have to realize that this is who we were before Christ. We were, we had, we wanted nothing to do with the glory of God. Now, what, here's where the, here's where it shifts. Okay, so God's got this world that he's created and these creatures, and the creatures are the crown jewel of his creation, right? The crown jewel. God, God loves the elephants, but he didn't put his image in elephants. He, he raised up Adam and Eve and their offspring to be the glory of his creation. So... What we find is that he is not satisfied with him losing glory. He's not satisfied in that. Now, what we can't understand me saying is that God didn't realize that this was going to happen, so then he had to figure out plan B. We don't have to get into that tonight, but that is not the truth. That's not the reality that God did not know that man was going to rebel, that man was going to sin. But we do have to understand that he was not satisfied with his, his crown jewel of his creation being marred and, and, and misfigured by sin. And that's how we get this, this understanding of a plan of redemption, right? To redeem that which was lost. Which, what do you think that was? His glory. Not in the sense of he wasn't glorious anymore, but in the image bearers that he created to reflect and give him glory. So he had a plan of redemption for all time. And if we, we can even look to see how it ends. Go to Revelation 22, excuse me, 21. Revelation 21. For the sake of time, I wanted to read all of 21 and all of 22, but we'll just hit some highlights here. <laughs> Let's start at 21, and then I'll, we'll hop down 
verse 1. So we're at the end of the plan of redemption, right? For God to, to, to redeem the marred image bearer. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, who benefits from this? We do, big time. But who gets the glory in this one? God does. He does. We have a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Uh, now look uh, look down to verse 22. <coughs> Now we're still we're still within this same picture of new the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down. And he says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So we've got a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, and what? They are the focus of this scene. Look at this, verse twenty three. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamps is the Lamb. What does that mean? That means that whoever is surrounding the Lord Almighty and the Lamb. What are they seeing? They're seeing the perfection of God. And it is it is known as his glory shining bright. Remember me uh, remember Jesus on the mount of transfiguration and he pull, he pulls back that that flesh that veil and we see a white that could not be a white like bleached clothes that would just a white that you couldn't imagine and shining. You remember uh, Moses on Mount Sinai when he wants to see the glory of God and God says, now you can't see my face, but you can see my backside. But I also need to shove you in a rock and cover you a little bit so that maybe the, the my glory will not hit you directly, but reflect off the rock and I'll cover you. And even in that, Moses comes down the mountain and what his face is shining because of the glory of God. And you're like, what do you mean the glory? I mean, because it's because of the gloriousness of who God is. He's so God that he shines like you never could ever imagine. Like, I, that doesn't make any sense. That's not very intellectual. But that's the thing. Is that his being just radiates light and pure light. So we have this scene. But who's there? Let's finish it. Verse 24. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Now we've been talking about that on Sunday mornings. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. 
Who's going to be there? But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And you want to say, well, why are they there? Well, they're there to give glory to God forever. That's why they're there. Flip over to the last uh, last chapter, 22, and look at verse 8 through 8 and 9. Now, this isn't this isn't some astonishing verse, but I think it it kind of closes us out real well. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he, the angel, said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of the book, period. And then he says, worship God. Give glory to God. Exalt the Lord Almighty and the Lamb. That's what we will be there for. Yes, he will wipe away our tears. Yes, there will be no more pain. But we will be in the new Jerusalem so that God would be glorified. Because that is what he deserves. So, let me ask you this. In this scene, and you know this answer, but just think about it. In this scene, will there be anyone falling short of the glory of God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And we're going to see why as we talk about grace alone here in a minute. There, there will be no one falling short of the glory of God because of what God has done for us by his grace. Which we'll come to that in a minute. So what's the purpose of your name being written in the Lamb's book of life? It's for God's glory. It's for God's glory. And we must, we must always keep that in our minds. The day, I, rem- I don't remember the day, but I remember like the week where I realized that my salvation was not for me. When I realized that, that changed everything. Because it went from me focused to God focused. And that's the point of the scriptures. Is that we're God-focused, not us-focused. So we must remember that all things, our creation and even our redemption, is for the glory of God. Think about it. Think about the the cultural mandate that Adam and Eve was given. And this is what we talked about in the family series. They were to be fruitful and multiply, to go and do what? Make more image bearers to do what? Give more glory to God. Now what are we called to do in the Great Commission? We're still called to be fruitful and multiply, but even in that, we're also called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Right? Why? To have redeemed image bearers. To give glory to God. So when a missionary goes to a, a, a country and persecuted you know, by Muslim tyranny, if they go... Because they love those people, they might last a little bit. 
But when the persecution comes, if they're not there for the glory of God, they will not last at all. Everything we do is for the glory of God. And as we're doing it for the glory of God, what comes out is love for others. And we can't get that backwards. All things are for the glory of God. Let's finish. Well, no, we'll go there in a minute. But we do know in 1 Corinthians that he says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, you do all things to the glory of God. Okay, so now let's, that's glory. That's, that's uh, uh, solia de gloria, glory to God alone. Now let's do um, grace alone. Uh, God saves us from our sin. He redeems us and sanctifies us so we can be in his presence. We've been talking about that. So what we've discussed here, so that we can live for him and glorify him forever. So now the question is, is the mode that which he does that is he going to do it in a way that gives him the most glory? And the answer, of course, is yes. But how does he do it? Grace. Grace is the way that God redeems us for his glory. Let me see if I can say that again. Grace is the, is the, is the way that he receives the most glory when he redeems us for his glory. Okay? Any other way, God would not get all the glory. Now, we'll break this down and see how we can argue this from Scripture. God saves people in such a way that only he gets the glory. Let's, let's go. I'll start backwards. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2. you get there? I'm sorry. One. First Corinthians one, verse 26. We'll read to the end of the chapter. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of were, were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Now, here, here's the, the, the crux of this section, 29, 30, and 31. So that, he did all that, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. Do you know what he's at? He's saying when he says that no one might boast in the presence of God? So that no one would get glory, their own glory, in the presence of God. Verse 30. And because of him, because of him, that would be God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So where did where did uh where did any of your wisdom come from? It came from God. Where did any of your righteousness came from? It came from God. Where did your sanctification come from? It comes from Jesus, uh God and Jesus and redemption from God and Jesus. Verse 31. 
so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's how the Lord receives glory from saving us. Let me double check something here. Yeah, that word, that Greek word boast, um, to vaunt, to boast, to glory, to rejoice, not in ourselves, but in the Lord. So how does he do this? Here, here's the first thing he does. He gives life to the dead. Now that, there's no, there's no getting around that. The dead man doesn't go, man. I'm so glad I, I did what I did to make myself alive today. What did the what can the dead man do? Absolutely nothing. He's dead. Look at Ephesians two. God gives life to the dead. Ephesians two one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's pretty clear. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in at work in the sons of disobedience. So not only were you dead spiritually, but you were, you were right on the heels of Satan and the world. Right? That was... That was what got you going, and you were following closely, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Basically, it's a dead man walking. The spiritual dead man walking. No desire for God or righteousness, just passions of the flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. Verse 4, here's where the glory of God comes in through the grace of God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Now, did anything I read in verse 1, 2, and 3 sound lovable? Absolutely not. But he loved us because of the great... Or he, he, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Now, listen to this before we move on. You're like, well, what makes somebody so lovable by God? Well, Israel wondered the same thing. So let me read this. this is y'all y'all hang where you are and I'll just read this. This is Deuteronomy 7. You can read it um, read it at home. So he says to Israel, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Uh, that's the language we've been using, set apart, sanctified. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, 
Verse, he says in verse 7, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of the people. But it is because the Lord loves you. What? What did they do? Absolutely nothing. There was nothing lovable about Israel. There was nothing desirous about Israel. But the Lord loved them. And just for us, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians and the believers, the the saints of Ephesus, there was nothing lovable about them. But God, was with his great love with which he loved them, even, verse 5, when they were dead in the grave in our trespasses, made us alive. He just made us alive together with Christ. And that's the only way to make anyone alive from the spiritual dead. Now look what he says. Puts in a little side note, just so we understand here. By grace, you have been saved. And the most meaning not meaning the most simplest translation of that word grace really can just be boiled down to favor um but again how does a how does a dead man earn favor by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he brought you from the grave to the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now I know I've, I've hammered that point home that when Paul uses the word gift... He's speaking in contrast to wages. One earns and works for wages. One deserves, does nothing to deserve a gift of God. And that is how God gets all the glory in saving a dead man. Is by graciously bringing them to alive by his love. When there was nothing to love or nothing to favor. God gives life to the dead man. God also gives sight to the blind man. Again, a blind man can't make himself see. Now we could go and, you know, we could look at, what is his name, Bartimaeus in the Gospels, crying out. and cries out to Jesus to give him sight. I, I like 2 Corinthians to help us see this idea of God giving sight. Now you also have to keep in mind as you read through the gospels and the the before second Corinthians chapter 4, if you look if you read through the gospels time and time again you see well each time in the gospels you see the apostles or the disciples ask Jesus, "Hey, why do you keep talking in all these crazy stories? Why are you telling us these parables?" And he said, Seeing, they won't see. And hearing, they won't hear. Lest they turn. 
He hadn't given them sight. He hadn't opened up their eyes. He hadn't opened up their ears. And that's why when in his conversation with the Pharisees in John 10, and it's all it's like, well, why don't why don't you believe? I've told you I'm the Christ in there. And he basically says that's because you don't have ears to hear. You're not a sheep. You don't have ears to hear. My sheep hear my voice. He gives sight to the blind. He gives hearing to the deaf. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. Paul writes to the Corinthians, And if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the glory of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe it's because the lights are out. You cannot see. But in the proclamation of the gospel, in the exaltation of the work of Christ and Jesus as Lord, light shines out of darkness and opens up the eyes of people, blind people, to see the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You can also think of it in the sense of when does faith come? It comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Or you think of Romans 1 that says it is the gospel that has the power of salvation to all who believe. It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And he opens up the eyes of the blind. He gives hearing to the deaf. He gives life to the dead and causes the lame to walk. Those people didn't do anything. They can't. They're not able to do what God has given them the ability to do. To live, to see, to walk, to hear. That's just like, um, uh, what's the song? Oh, for a thousand tongues. And he's talking about, uh, how's it go, Sylvia? The lame... Hear ye, hear, hear him, ye deaf. Praise ye, ye dumb. Your loosening tongues employed. And talks about the lame walking, right? That's the glory, that's the grace of God in saving the deaf, the dumb, the blind, and the lame. Um... Let's go ahead and finish up. I'm going to cut this short a little bit. And let's go back to Romans 3. So there's a three, three passages in Romans I want us to see and we'll conclude. And, 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 and as we start to look at these three passages in Romans, I want you to go back to the thought we had of, will anyone fall short of the glory of a God in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem? And if not, why? Romans 3.23, this is where we started. 
But I didn't go to the next verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. So justified means innocent, not guilty, seen as righteous. We are guilty. We're unrighteous. We deserve judgment and condemnation. There is absolutely nothing we've done to deserve anything else. But we're justified in Christ Jesus by the favor of God. What did we do? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And are justified by his grace, look at it, as a gift. It's, it's a free gift given to us. Now, we know that that cost God. There is a payment for that. It is free to us, but it was not free to God. Because we see that it is a gift through the redemption, the payment that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That's that offering we've been talking about in Hebrews 10. That offering wasn't just an offering that the son would die, but that the son would appease the wrath of God. That's propitiation. An appeasement of the wrath of God. That was Christ Jesus being put forward by God to appease the wrath of God by his death. To be received by faith, not by works, so that no one may boast. Look at verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. It is excluded. Do we get any of the glory? No. God gets all the glory. Now, look at chapter 8. And here's the beauty of the grace of God is that it's eternal. And it can't be wiped away. It can't be removed. But brings us all the way to Revelation 22. So if you look at 28 in chapter 8. Very well-known verse, but a lot, but something we we don't pay attention to in this verse because we're we're so concerned about all things working together for good, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And what do you think your good is? It's getting you to the end. It's not. It's not the cars. It's not the money. It's not that happiness. It's about getting you to the end. And it's about making you more like Christ. So he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Who, who's this? Who's this? Who loves God? For those who are called according to the purpose. Those who have ears to hear the call. Those who have been given sight to see. Verse 29. 
for those whom he foreknew. That's not foreknew as in like he knew them what they would do before. That foreknowledge is like Adam knowing his wife. That's the kind of knowledge we're talking about, an intimate knowledge. Not this sense of, oh, he knew the actions of people, so then he's going to be gracious to them because he knew they were going to be good enough. No, he foreknew them before they were good or bad. He knew them knowing that they would be bad. There would be nothing lovable. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that the, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now here's how we get all the way to Revelation 22 right here. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he is also glorified. That gets you to Revelation 22. Now who... What is the pronouns in that? Is there a you or a me, an I or a we? No. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. To be glorified means you're standing before the Lord Almighty and the Lamb, seeing unadulterated, without a veil, without anything, but you are seeing God in your presence. And in seeing Him, 1 John says what? You will be like Him. This, this is what we call the golden chain of redemption or the golden chain of salvation. That it is all of grace it is God who saves. It is God who has loved us. It is God who gets the glory. Now, just flip over a couple more pages to Romans 11. It's always a good way to finish a talk like this. 33. Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. So, when we can grasp the glory of God and the grace of God, just a few things should happen. Humility. Who am I? Who am I? Thankfulness and gratitude. An increase in worship. And I don't just mean singing. If you hear me say the word worship, do not equate that to singing. Singing is a part of worship, but it's your service unto him. We might do it all together, or you might be doing it at home. 
but your service and worship unto God increases when you know that you are who you are in Christ simply because of the love and mercy of God. And then also to know this and not to tell about it is foolish and a little bit stingy, a lot of bit stingy. If we've been given a free gift and there there are people who are who who are ready to receive the gift, the free gift, what are they only waiting on? To hear the word of Christ. To hear the word of Christ. And so the, the glory of God and the grace of and the grace of, of God and Jesus Christ in saving us doesn't keep us from proclaiming the gospel. It gives us every reason to proclaim the gospel to all people everywhere. So that concludes our time in the solas of the Protestant Reformation. Um, hopefully this was helpful. Uh, and does anybody have any questions or thoughts?